Hello and welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are four girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. I'm Katie. I'm Kenzie. I'm Abby. And I'm Emily. And with that, let's talk about stuff. We do have a fan shout out. So to bring up the mood here, uh, we have a big shout out to everyone who responded to our Instagram story with ideas for future episodes. So definitely. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Anytime. We're doing, you know, I mean, somebody said more beluga episodes. I thought that was a great idea. You said more beluga episodes. That was you. You know what I think would be also great? A bat episode. 10 out of 10. We already had one, but we should do another. We should do it again. (laughs) I actually didn't look at the. Don't uh, give us more. We're just going to start repeating episodes. (laughs) Oh, I kind of want to look at the answers now. Beluga's 2.0. I'm sure you all knew what the. Yeah. Oh, Um, I see them. I see them now. Yeah, there's a few. (laughs) I saw my brother's. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, your brother's was pretty good. His dog is very, very wonderful. So I understand why he would want to know the answer to that. The his uh, response to that was, "What does my dog think about all day?" Great question. We don't. I wish I could tell you. <laughs> Ellie thinks about David, and when will David come home? And where is Ooh, David? Yeah. And how come David is not here? Um, because she spent the last four hours crying. I think that's pretty similar to probably what my brother's dog thinks as well when his parent, her parents are gone. When will David? Um, I like how agriculture and conservation can coincide. That's cool. We did something similar to that. We did. We, we had like an agriculture. Sustainable agriculture, but yeah. it's different, I think, in that context. Yes, mm-hmm. because it, there's lots of different ways that they coincide together. We could talk about the, the poop gin. Okay. Well, I like the wolves and wild dogs, bears. Like, maybe we could do like a apex predators episode north american apex predators yeah north american apex predators for the win ecotourism okay how have we not talked about that how have we not talked about ecotourism i yes Um, (laughs) to that person on that note abby you sent me that tiktok about the hawaiian spider dolphins and i have never felt more vindicated in my life (laughs) yeah but i've been saying all along don't Swim on top of the sleeping dolphins, let alone at all, but alas. I mean, the basic, uh, we shouldn't, that's, we're starting to do that topic that we haven't researched yet, so. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, thank you for all your suggestions. You guys are the best. Yeah. Uh, but we will move right along to conservation updates. I actually have two things. Okay. So the first thing I just remembered, I, the other day, was looking for some new games on my Nintendo Switch. Uh, big fan of like I guess to call them like comfort games like Animal Crossing like things like Stardew Valley like things that are very relaxing not exactly relaxing just cozy really fun so I was looking on their like kind of clearance like what games are on clearance I got two games uh, the first one 
I got Roller Coaster Tycoon 3. Bless oh, it. yeah! Um, it was $10 for that, the Zoo Tycoon part of it, and the water park. I have never played Zoo Tycoon before. Are you kidding me? What? I literally I, lived on that game. I wanted it really badly. I never got it as a kid. I would always go to my friend's house to play it on her computer. <laughs> but I made my own park the other day, and it just really... This is not the actual conservation news. It just really cracked me up that in the game, you'll build, like, say your gorilla habitat, which I may have made what I think is the most like beautiful gorilla habitat <laughs> ever on the game. But then you have to put like a, like they call it like, you know, a large herbivore house or something, an elephant house, like an indoor area in their enclosure that they can go into and sleep in and get food from. And <laughs> when you put it in the enclosure, the keeper comes out of a little door in the in the house and they just live in the habitat with the animals that's amazing so you'll see the keeper just like walking around with their little shovel and their little like poop scoop and And the gorilla just like walks in front of yeah the gorilla just like walks in front of them like (laughs) same with the lions i didn't realize that in the game for some reason lions like give birth like every two days oh my god if they they're male so and females i literally like turned my back for a second turned around and there were like 20 lion cubs yes. in my exhibit and i was like oh no they're also oh, no. Poop machines they make this poop is so much not an ssp okay. recommendation but let me can i i have a hot take oh boy so yeah. as somebody who really really enjoys exhibit design aspect of the zoo Everything. world <laughs> zoo tycoon is kind of terrible for the exhibit design aspect how so because well because the game off is... the habitat and that's it no, no in this game you can like map terrain so like make mountains or forests or you like all different water of sources of okay. trees. oh my god i made like a gorgeous waterfall in my gorilla habitat like it was it's real nice okay but there's another one called planet zoo where you get to like oh isn't that like an app no, it's a it's a game. It's on. Oh, um, yeah. What's the streaming thing? Steam. Steam. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it talks about adopting species, caring for them, and then conserving them. So it's very. I think it was designed by zoo professionals because there's no way it wasn't. Huh. Except for their Sorry, zoo exhibit is, design, I guess. This is no. Complete, they did a good job. Um, this is a complete offshoot tangent. Um, but did anyone <laughs> ever play? It was a. It was an app. Um, it was called Disco Zoo. No. Oh my god. I need what? you all to go download this game right now. I have already played through the entire thing like I beat the game. Um I honestly can't even remember how to play it because I played it like 5 years ago. But it's very entertaining and it's very cute and you have a little zoo and you like collect the animals. It's very fun. 10 out of 10. What in the heck is this? I'm telling you, it's very fun. Why Highly is there recommend. a unicorn with a disco ball? Oh, so, I'm so I'm telling you, this game is very fun. Please go get it. Okay. I honestly might re-download it just so I can play through it again because <laughs> it's so good. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. No, Blue I love it. Blue News is going to turn into Disco Zoo updates. <laughs> it's true. So to get to my actual point, um, it was not Zoo Tycoon and Roller Coaster Tycoon. There's another game that caught my eye um, that was also, I think it was like $4. It was like really, really, like the, the price was slashed. Because I guess it came out a while ago. It is a game called Gibbon Beyond the Trees. So it is literally a game where you play as a gibbon. A white-cheeked gibbon. 
I was assuming they were white cheek gibbons. I mean, it's like a purple, green, and yellow gibbon. <laughs> um, but they have white cheeks. So I was like, white cheek gibbons, it is great. And it is a game that is very relaxing. Like, it's very visually stunning and beautiful. And, like, you're basically just swinging through the trees. But it goes through literally the entire conservation surrounding gibbons and other primates in um in where they live in like indonesia and other areas similar um it is and i'm reading this off their website a hopeful game about the beauty of wilderness and the destructive force of human civilization so it starts out like you're just going through the trees and then all of a sudden you start to see camps uh as you're swinging by you start to see like people setting up more construction equipment and it just goes from literally the beginning of like what gibbons used to have to like now um like all of a sudden you were swinging through a city by the middle of the game i actually haven't finished it there's chapters but it co covered like palm oil um farming it covered the illegal pet trade uh poaching like all in just this really creative medium that I would not have expected this story to be told through. Uh, and it was very accurate to like just given natural behavior, except for like, I guess the part where they're like swinging, you know, through like city buildings, but it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just, it was, it like got me emotional at points because there is a story. It's like a family of Gibbons and it, it gets real, you know, about what's happening to them. I highly, I feel like can't recommend this game enough, especially because it's if you have a Nintendo Switch, it's on sale right now. Like, I promise like, you'll I enjoy will be it. purchasing this later. <laughs> yeah, it's on, according to their website, Apple Arcade, Steam, and I don't, I've never heard of this one. It's itch.io. Oh, I have Switch, so I can get it there. There you go. It's just real great. Highly recommend it. The, I can't get over how visually beautiful it is. So check it out. And that's that one. Enough about video games. Uh, but never really enough about video games. Uh, second piece of conservation news is one that Abby uh, tagged me in the other day. Really, really cool uh, conservation initiative uh, regarding poaching. Uh, it is... The Wild Forensic Academy. And I'm actually not sure where this is it's not in the united states i didn't think it was i'm pretty sure it's in africa i'm trying to find the specific country but i am not seeing it on here but that's okay so basically the gist of it is uh there there's an initiative where they basically created this like virtual art virtual crime scene where students can go and you can see like a crime scene of say a giraffe that was found deceased in an area and they can literally walk through this scene and like look for clues on like how was this giraffe poached was it killed by a natural source um what are what pieces of evidence that could lead you to if it was poached you know where they could have gone how to prevent it in the future um, gathering evidence and building a case to prosecute individuals or groups um, that may be guilty of those poaching crimes. Um, and it's really neat. Did you the, find something? Yes, I did. Um, so it is in South Africa. 
Okay. Um, and it is mainly a big partnership with the University of Florida. Get out! Get out of here. Yep, they basically funded the whole thing. Oh, wow. Incredible. 12 out That's of 10. so crazy. Um, it looks like um, some people in South Africa, like, wanted this, and then they mm-hmm. partnered with um, biologists and stuff from – and forensic scientists from the University of Florida – um, and then basically came up with this and it just opened last week. Incredible. It is very cool. There are photos. I mean, obviously the photos trigger warning depict dead animals um, that were poached. They are obviously not real. There are statues and props for the scenes. But I, I think the scenes themselves are really cool just seeing how they're set up and how the students can really gain some insight to how to approach these sort of scenes. So cool stuff man yeah very neat it was very interesting all right zoo zoo stuff all right you know what i got no bad zoo news this week amazing we we love that 12 out of 10 um the first is the cincinnati zoo has a new cheetah cub her name is rosie she makes very high squeaks Uh, Uh, she's being hand reared by the keeper team which is normal um for cheetah cubs and they expect to pair her with her companion puppy soon. That makes my heart happy. It is normal for Cincinnati Zoo because they ha- their cheetahs are ambassador cheetahs. So not every zoo does this. Um, some zoos will raise their cheetahs alongside companion puppies or dogs um, because that helps them just kind of be more confident, helps their disposition so that they are comfortable being used in more ambassador settings. So there aren't very many zoos that do that, but Cincinnati Zoo is known for their cheetah ambassadors. One of the many things they're known for. Fiona! Yeah, Fiona, namely. My angel. Um, But yeah, that was was really exciting. Um, Go on their Instagram. There's lots of cute stuff happening. Um, (laughs) This one is also amazing the denver zoo has raised fifty thousand dollars for the for three of the zoos in the ukraine to help them with animal care very good so they distributed the funds between kiev Cherkasy, and odessa and i'm really sorry if i pronounced those incorrectly uh kenzie if you know incorrect um i am not familiar with the eastern european languages it's okay all right sounds good um either way it's incredible um, they have not stopped. They are continuing to accept donations. So if you'd like to donate to the Denver Zoo's um, Ukraine recovery program, you still can do that, which is incredible. Very and good. then speaking of wolves, it's actually been a pretty big week for wolves. I've got two zoo news about wolves. Yeah, I've seen a lot about wolves re- recently. It's been a good time. Um, they are starting to, like, this is the time of the year where baby wolves are born. And that's kind of what this has to do with. So Makes sense. First, um, have you heard of red wolves before? Yes, yeah. I've seen them at Zoo Tampa. Well, there are they are the most endangered canids in the world. There's oh. um, thought to only be twenty left in the wild um, as of 2020, which is half from the previous year. Um, oh. Yeah, not good. There's about 175, or there were 175 in zoos and aquariums, but no, there's more because there was one. <laughs> Wolf baby born at the Roger Williams Park Zoo and four born at Zoo Tampa. Yeah. Wow. So oh my good. god, that's wild because I when I last went to Zoo Tampa, I was literally talking. There was an educator standing at that window 
and she was started talking to me about their SSP and stuff. And um, why do I, Abby? You were there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This is when we went. Yeah. yeah. And she was like telling us all about that. I was just like, that's so cute. It was they awesome. Just had their babies. Yeah, they had just had them, but now they've announced them. So Amazing. Um, and shout out to listener Johnny for sending us that article. Always. Yes. Thank you, Johnny. Johnny's on top of Zoo News. So if I don't do it, I know Johnny has me covered. Well, he sent it to us and he told us in person. Yes. Incredible. Great. Um, And then in more wolf news, there were 11 captive bred Mexican wolf pups that have been released into the wild into dens. Wow. So Mexican wolves are also super critically endangered. Um, Their home range has been largely depleted. Um, three of the pups that were released were b- born at the Brookfield Zoo. Um, and through this program that I don't remember what it's called, there have been 87 pups released to help bring the wolf population back up. So Very awesome. Good. Another success Ooh, story. Um, can I just, this is about the cheetah cub <laughs> real quick. Um, it's more of an anecdote about, so um, I know that, I don't even think know if I could say this without giving away where I work. I will not say where I work. However, um, we do have cheetah ambassadors uh, at our at my facility, and one of my good friends that is a zookeeper at where I work, uh, she actually pet sits for uh, one of the dogs that was raised with a cheetah c- cub at the zoo, uh, and that dog lives with one of the keepers adopted it, and it lives with her. But apparently this dog, it's a yellow lab, acts exactly like a cat. That's like the way it sits, the way it, it little like literally she says sneak around the house and she will not hear it. Uh, I just think that's hilarious. That is starting for a lab. The, the lab was like, you know what? Instead of me influencing the cheetah, I am going to become cat. <laughs> I mean... That story just cracks me up. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> okay. Um, time for my favorite part. Yeah. Is it Beluga News, Emily? It's Beluga News. It might be. It might I'm be Beluga shocked. News. The best news. Um, okay. So two things. One that is not really related. It's more tangential, but I just thought it was neat. Um, and then one tangential actual Beluga News. This podcast. Well, not like we've already had seven of those. <laughs> You know, we're doing great over here. Um, okay, so the first one is that Eurolink um, is a tech company, and they make drones, okay? And I guess there was a big drone conference um, in Orlando, of all places. And Where's that? <laughs> great question. Somewhere in Florida. Um, <laughs> and they, this company, Eurolink, debuted a new drone that they say is, like, the best, whatever. I don't know. I didn't really read that much about it. Um, but it's shaped like a beluga whale. Like the body of the drone is Why? literally shaped like a beluga. And they, they just said they were inspired by them. And I was like, relatable content. Um, so if you need a new drone, please go buy a beluga whale drone. Um, and then another one, this is actual um, beluga news. So the port of Alaska in Anchorage, which is where the Cook Inlet belugas live, um, just installed new informational signage all around the port. Um, teaching people about the endangered cook inlet belugas so we love that kenzie what's our topic this week that is a great question so our topic to us by you listeners we are talking about sexual dimorphism so yes (laughs) so some of you may be asking kenzie what is 
sexual dimorphism. Oh, here. <laughs> Kenzie, what is sexual dimorphism? <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. This was first described by, oh God, Daddy Darwin. When yeah. He yeah. Daddy Darwin. For sexual selection. So by definition, sexual dimorphism is when the two sexes of different species have physical differences between them. Uh, there are many hermaphroditic animals that exhibit both male and female sex traits, though. We'll get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, a lot going on. Oh, yeah. So today, each of us queens, we are going to talk about a specific animal or region of animals. And we'll kind of go a little bit into some specific examples of sexual dimorphism so uh hold on to your butts and let's get started katie i think you're on on to those butts because we're going to talk about um one of my favorite animals it's no secret we're talking about gorillas uh as far as primates go uh there are some species where there is a lot of sexual dimorphism and then there's other species where there's not so much but kind of across the board when it comes to primates um, males are going to be larger than females on average. So uh, even when you have some uh, species that, you know, male or female look almost the same, like the same, like a good example of that is like capuchin monkeys, uh, they're still going to vary in weight. However, certain species of primates really vary really drastically between females and males. One of them being gorillas. Uh, and it is still a size difference, but I think it's the just complete like range from the male to the female is ginormous. So for your Western lowland gorillas, we'll do them for this example. Your silverback adult male gorillas are going to weigh up to 440 pounds. Uh, and that is the average that is like normal for say, a fully grown. There's a couple of gorillas I yeah, know that are past that. Yes, you are yeah. correct. Uh, so the silverback that I work with currently, he is only 16 years old, so he is still in his growing stages. He is 412 pounds. We weighed him this morning. Uh, that's so not, that's just, not that big. That's not that big. <laughs> well, no. I know it's kind of funny because at our facility, there's the one I know. that's like. 475 yeah 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 so he's still growing but to me he's he's a big boy but uh 412 pounds and then you take his uh the other female that lives in the group of gorillas i care for and she is about 200 pounds so (laughs) 200 pounds on the females like that's insane to me and uh size why i mean just looking at them like look at a silverback look at a female western lowland gorilla it's like whoa mama that's crazy uh but the other thing that sets males or at least adult males apart from females is they have a much more pronounced sagittal crest uh if you're ever looking at a gorilla and you're like huh why do they have that weird bump on the back of their head i had someone ask me once if that's because they have more brain than we do (laughs) i would have said have you ever met a man (laughs) <laughs> so the answer was yes uh no sir that is for the muscles uh, because that is what the silverbacks are good for uh in the gorilla troops so their sagittal crest is a really pronounced crest on the back of their head it's like a big bump and it is to house uh 
muscles that are connected to the jaw of the gorilla. It's basically to help them tear open really tough vegetation, but also gorillas have some serious teeth, especially the silverbacks. So they are also meant to protect and defend their own, uh, you know, dominance in the group uh, or to defend their family from any other threats. So it's some serious stuff, but for the males, their sagittal crest is a lot more pronounced or higher than the females, even though females do have that as well, because they're also eating tough vegetation. Uh, the other primate species that I will point out, actually, I'll say two more, uh, is white cheek gibbons. Yes. Got huge sexual dimorph but dimorphism right there. So white cheek gibbons are probably my second favorite primate. They used to be my first. No, Simings were. Gibbons in general. Yeah, gorillas have probably now taken the number one spot. But anyway, uh, white-cheeked gibbons are completely different colors if they are male or female. So females are an orange-yellow color all over their body, uh, save for the top of their head that has like a little black crown, black fur on the top of their head. And the males are completely black with white cheeks, white fur on their cheeks. Uh, This really stark contrast is really cool for a number of reasons. The first is how they go through this color change. Uh, When all white cheek gibbons are born, they are born orange or yellow like mom. And the reason for that is they blend, they hang on to her chest, they hold on while she swings all over the place. For the first, you know, few months of life. So they blend right into her chest that way. Then once they start venturing, like right around the age where they start venturing off, start swinging on their own, start kind of being a little more independent, still completely independent on mom and dad. Or sorry, completely dependent on mom and dad. I don't know if I said that right the first time. Uh, They actually turn black and white just like dad. So they're a little bit bigger. They're not clinging onto mom's chest bam, they are black and white. Uh, It does take a little bit of time for the color change to completely happen, but it does really seem seem really like it happens really quickly. Uh, And this goes for males and females. They all start off as yellow-orange. They all turn black and white. And then around the time of sexual maturity, females will go back to orange-yellow, except for the little cap on the top of their head stays black. Um, which is kind of a reminder that, hey, they once were black and white, which is crazy. Males will continue to stay black and white for the rest of their lives. Uh, which brings me to my question. The white cheek gibbons at your facility. Um, oh, my is she God. Or- is she black? Uh, sorry. Is she orange? Yes. Stop. Oh, oh my I'm God. I'm going to cry right so, now. <laughs> because they have like a little salt and pepper stage, right? Yes. And I came back and I picked up a shift um, at that side of the park or that side of the zoo. And I looked and I was like, oh, my God, she There's got two so orange big. Ones. I'm literally going to cry. So there was a baby white chief given at the facility that um, they all are still at. And I used to work at and she was the love of my life. <laughs> And last I worked there, she was literally just starting to see like a little bit of yellow fur she starting only, to. She she has change. a little bit of um like ruddy on her legs, and that's it. The rest of her <laughs> is all orange. My baby's all grown up. She oh my me. god. Uh yeah. So white cheek gibbons, man. It is 
stark contrast for them, which is really neat. Uh, and then the other primate that I want to just mention because they are also really stark difference are mandrills. Uh, oh, mandrills yeah. are the largest monkey. Uh, so they do have a tail, but it is very short. Um, so a lot of people, and because they do have a larger size, confuse them for an ape. But they are, in fact, monkeys. Uh, they have very distinctive, the males have very distinctive color markings on their face. Um, like blue and red skin, really gorgeous. And they are a lot larger than the females. Their butts are also pretty colorful and fantastic, if I do say so myself. Uh Females are much smaller. They do not have the colorful uh, blue and red skin on their face. They also have like a little yellow um, beard. It's very cute. Uh, but that that is just such a, a stark. Uh, females have more subdued facial coloring. Can vary between individuals. Uh, and then for males, the rump and areas around the genitals are multicolored. Consisting of red, pink, blue, and purple skin. Uh, but the females uh, just have red red skin around their gen- genitals. So um, I will <laughs> tell you guys a quote from Daddy Darling Darwin. Uh, <laughs> Daddy Darling Darwin. Daddy Darwin once wrote in The Descent of Man, quote, no other member of the whole class of mammals is colored in so extraordinary a manner as the adult male mandrill. The, um, that, that's the end of the quote. <laughs> oh, very good. He was just like, yeah. Dang. They do colorful though. They believe that the blue ridges on males contrasts both with the red facial hues and the green foliage of their environment, helping them to stand out to other individuals. Um, whereas the darker and more subdued coloring of the female, uh, you know, they blend in better. So uh they don't have to risk it all, as we talked about in the last episode, in order to get a man. But the males certainly do to get a female. And that is, I mean, we're going to talk more about it, a large part of why sexual dimorphism occurs. It usually indicates some sort of desired health factor um, when it comes to mating. So, like, obviously for gorillas, for example, the bigger the silverback, the more appealing they are to females to join their group and to stay under their protection. Yeah, that's primates for you. Most of the other ones, they're pretty similar except for size. Um, all right, so let's get started with some other types of dimorphism. We had Katie talk about primates, so I'm going to be talking about some that we see in the ocean. What a shocker. Uh, the, I know, right? Who would have who'd have ever guessed? Actually, if you look at all of our topics, none of them are shockers. That's accurate. Out of the, like, literally over 50 episodes we've put out, I don't think any of them are a shock to anybody. Um, okay, so let's get started. I'm going to start with the most obvious one, and it's one that we have talked about on this podcast multiple times, and that is anglerfish. Um, oh, so good. We've covered it many times, so I'm just going to briefly cover it. So if you've missed every other mention of this, um, the female anglerfish is what you think of when you think of an anglerfish, a, you know, pretty decent sized fish with the little lure in the front and all that. Um, the male looks nothing like that. He's very, very, very small, like teeny tiny, itty bitty small. Um, and so what he does is when he finds a lady or a lady finds him and he's like, hey, you know what? That would be a lady I would like to make a baby with. He bites onto her and he says, yes, this is good. Um, and then he gets absorbed into her body. Disgusting. The end. 
Like that is that is the short version of that story. And did we talk is, about it in like our sex episode? We talked about it there, and we also talked about it in the deep sea episode. Mm. So we've covered it a few times, but just in case you had missed it. Um, okay. The next thing is we're gonna go to uh, cetaceans and other marine mammals. So cetaceans are whales and dolphins, um, and then um, we've got a couple other marine mammals to talk about too. So the first sperm whales um and if you search like sexual dimorphism in the ocean sperm whales are usually like the first thing to show up um and that's because there is such a body size difference um a female sperm whale weighs around thirty thousand pounds so a big whale right yeah casual um, casual uh males on the other hand can weigh up to ninety thousand pounds. pounds yes more than double Ooh. almost triple um what the females are weighing so did they you are guys huge. see the one that was like the polar bear on the the whale yes the sperm whale thing yes yes i, I don't um, think i did they're just so uh, let me find it kenzie i'll send it to you okay cool thank you they're just so big um that's the moral of that story there's really not a lot else about them that is different they are otherwise pretty much identical the males are just that much larger um the next one is everybody's favorite whale the beluga whale um (laughs) you know everybody's favorite my favorite never gets old emily it never gets old not to me not to anyone um so male beluga whales will sometimes have what are called blubber rails Um, You don't always see this in zoos and aquariums, um, and that's because they keep the water in zoos and aquariums that keep belugas just a little bit warmer than what they're used to, so they don't have to expend a lot of energy um, storing up all that fat and things like that. It's honestly like a much easier living environment for them um, to be in nice warmer water. So, um, but wild male beluga whales will get these blubber rails, and if you um, don't know what that is, on their belly side, they get these two big it almost looks like they have pool noodles kind of running down the sides of their body. Um, but it's just cute. where they store extra fat. Um, and they're just really cute. And I think they're adorable. And I would happily like to see a beluga with blubber rails. It makes them, you know, the Photoshop picture of them with like an eight pack? Yes. This is, has to be where it comes from, right? Because it's real. It makes them extra jiggly. <laughs> My I don't know how don't I feel jiggle, jiggle. about this. I'm not a rapper. <laughs> I'm doing really well. I'm still asleep. Uh, okay. Uh, next one is killer whales. Um, so they have two different things. Um, one is overall body size. Um, female killer whales will average anywhere from four to 8,000 pounds. Um, and males can get in excess of twelve to 15,000 pounds. So they are, again, very, very big. Um, and then their dorsal fins. So male killer whales will often have uh, very, very, very tall dorsal fins up to six feet um, in height. Um, female dorsal fins are often much shorter than that. So um, that's another way you can tell. Um, and then, of course, we will move on to sea lions. Now, Katie mentioned with the gorillas something called the sagittal crest, which is like this bony protrusion um, that they have. So sea lions have this too. Um, the males get it. It is essentially like a, hi, I'm big, I'm in charge, don't mess with me, or I will headbutt you into oh. the next century. Um, and that <laughs> is exactly the what guy, they use it for. It's the guy in Finding Dory. Yes. It's what he looked, he got the big one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you've seen those dominant male um, sea lions at any zoo or an aquarium or even out in the wild, um, they do have that big bump on their head. And that's just telling all the others in the area, like, hey, I'm the boss here. I get to mate with the ladies and you will fight me if you want to mate with my ladies. 
Um, that's why Gerald was so stressed out all the time. Exactly. (laughs) Um, this is also, um, accentuated in, um, elephant seals. They don't so much, I mean, they do have a sagittal crest, but it's not quite as pronounced as like in a California sea lion. The big difference with them is going to be body size. Um, elephant seal males can be literally four times the size of any of the females. Um, and again, this is just a like, I'm big, I'm in charge. I get to meet with all the ladies type of situation. Mm. Um, they also make different vocalizations, um, and louder vocalizations, which is again, like a screaming at everyone else, quite literally. Hi, I'm in charge. I'm a man. Anyway. (laughs) Um, okay. But I did want to point out that overall, um, in marine mammals, especially that this dimorphism is very poorly analyzed. Um, most scientists agree that the larger body size of these whales and, um, seals and sea lions Supports the hypothesis that better mate selection, um, that's why they're bigger. So the boys can fight each other for the females. Um, there is, I pulled a quote from an article that I read. Um, this is mostly talking about cetaceans, but it says, in certain species such as sperm whales, beaked whales, and narwhals, aka what a wonderful group of whales, um, <laughs> teeth erupt or are enlarged only in adult males. Um, so like we talked about the strap-toothed whale, this is that whale. Don't, no, we don't need to talk about them anymore. <laughs> I don't like him. I love him so much. Um, but it basically says that the um, in those whales where their teeth are only prominent in males, um, it suggests that the function of those teeth has shifted from feeding to being used in social interactions, um, a.k.a. look at me, I have fancy teeth. Um, and then a lot of these adult males in these species are heavily scarred. Um, basically saying they fight all the other males to get the ladies. Um, if you have never seen um, what mating looks like in humpback whales, um, I believe it's in, it's probably in Blue Planet or it might be in Planet Earth 2. Um, there's a really good scene that where they show a bunch of male humpback whales chasing down a female and these males are like battling each other to get her. Um, and honestly, queen energy. Um <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So then I have two more, um, kind of weird. Now this one is actually not sexual dimorphism. It's more weird sexual selection, but we missed it in that episode. So I'm going to include it here because this seems like (laughs) the most appropriate time. Um, and actually I think we talked about bobtail squid already, uh, in the counter or the camouflage episode, episode, episode. The the reverse Yes. Um, so bobtail squid are pretty heavily studied for that reason. Um, they live in Hawaii and other tropical waters. Um, but apparently, so if you don't, if you're not, if you're not familiar with, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cephalopod reproduction. Well, you're in for a treat. Um, the males, instead of, you know, like spewing their sperm everywhere, you know, putting something where they're supposed to, um, Instead, what they do is they prepare a handy-dandy little packet. Um, it kind of looks like a Tide Pod. Not not joking. It really looks like a little Tide Pod or Ew. like a like a packet of like dishwasher detergent. Um, but that's Emily. Little... I have to do laundry today. Well, now just hope you don't get a spermatophor instead. Um, <laughs> but it's a little packet that they prepare and give to the female. And it's got all their little spermies in it. And they say, here you go. You can have this. And the lady takes it and she says, thank you so much. I will make babies now. Um, Just like Very, that. very fun. Um, and they actually have a special tentacle that's designed to retrieve their spermatophore. Very fun. Um, but anyway, apparently in bobtail squid, 
smaller females, instead of using the sperm to make babies, they'll just eat it. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so I guess it's got a lot of nutrients in there. There are so they, many inappropriate jokes here. Yeah. Well, they're just, you know, they're just hungry ladies. That's fine. Um, but they're using it to prepare their bodies to have babies. But if they're eating like squid A's spermatophore, then squid B gives the spermatophore to that lady. And she says, oh, I'll make babies with you. Now squid A is like, what the heck? I made the spermatophore for you and all you did was eat it, but you used his to make babies? What the heck? So what they do uh, is the males will select the largest female they can find to hand their spermatophore off to because they're like, you already have nutrients. You're already big. You're not going to eat my sperm. You're just going to use it for what its intended purpose is. And, you know, the ocean's just a weird place. I learned something new today. (laughs) I learned that yesterday, and I just thought it was an interesting fact. I love that. I'm really excited for the next dinner party or whatever to go on, (laughs) because now I have more funny and slightly uncomfortable facts to share with people. Incredible. If we're being real, we're probably going to have some sort of dinner party at some point. And so us three will be just fine. And the boys will just have to deal with it. It's okay. I think um, I think we're past that phase with with Nick. No, nothing nothing gets past him now. <laughs> it's true. Nothing. I think Tyler still gets kind of uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> That's okay. We just need to work on him a little more. We I'm should sure do it. I know. I know so just the group of girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, Let's and not then torture my husband, please. <laughs> Uh, last one for the ocean, um, and that is sea turtles. Oh, um, well. <laughs> so we work in an aquarium a lot of the time, and um, the number oh one God. question is, oh, my God, how do you tell if that sea turtle is a boy or a girl? No, um, it's not. The number of question is, what are those two sea turtles doing? And that leads to the question, how do you tell if it's a boy or a girl? Well, that's accurate. But anyway, um, I have worked in many aquariums, and that is a very popular question. How do you tell if a turtle is a boy or a girl? It's not increasingly obvious if you really don't know. Um, but there is a pretty easy way to tell and that is to look at the tail so girls have very very small tails usually does not protrude past it um it's just very small now if it has a big tail that's a boy and you might be saying why do the boys have big tails emily well i'm so glad you asked um that's where they keep their wieners the end (laughs) (laughs) that's all i got that's all i got I don't think I'm going to be able to compete with that. That was a that was a nice little mic drop moment there. Yeah, let's gonna keep the readers. Bye. <laughs> okay, let's talk about birds. Let's talk about birds because birds are pretty interesting when it comes to this. I feel like when you talk about sexual dimorphism, birds are some of the easiest to just be like, "This is what we're talking about." Yes, this is a common common uh, thing. And for the most part, it's very, very helpful for people like me who are like, is that a boy or a girl? And I'm like, don't have to wonder too much. Here it is. Um, however, not all sexual dimorphism is color. We're going to get to that. Some is in birds uh, is size. So females are bigger or smaller. Um, unfortunately, even though technically they are sexually dimorphic, it does not mean that it is easy to tell the girls and the boys apart. Because spoiler alert, birds can grow. What? What? I thought they were government drones, Abby. Come on. Okay. Well, the government drones can get bigger and smaller, which seems like it could be helpful, but it's actually not. Um, So, like, let's look at flamingos are a really good example. Everyone always asks, oh, are the white ones, like, the girls and the penguins and the boys? 
No, it's just an age thing. And technically, male flamingos are a couple inches larger than female flamingos, but there's so much variation individual bases that it's it doesn't it doesn't matter. So really, the way you have to tell is uh, doing a blood draw, or you have an expert that has a really unfortunate job. Very good. Yeah. So let's go on to the fun part because the most common type of sexual dimorphism in birds is called sexual dichromatism, which means the two sexes have different plumage. Um, we are talking very much in the binary here, and we're going to get to some non-binary in a minute. Um, but in most cases, male birds tend to be flashier than female birds. And why? It's about the ladies. So peacocks are an amazing example, right? Males have much longer feathers with eye spots, and they're much more colorful. And that's so they can do a elaborate display for the females to be like, look, you should be my girlfriend. And the female can be either be like, yes, you're right, you're hot, or I never want to see you again, whichever floats their boat, I guess. Um, Birds of Paradise males have these insane, crazy dances and colors um, to show off the girls. And ducks, males have really pretty iridescent feathers, bold patterns, and crazy mating displays and habits. Go back to the sexual episode if you want to learn more about duck mating habits, because I don't really want to relive that, um, which I think is fair. So then the question that a lot of people will ask, especially women, ask, so why do the females have to be so boring in color, right? Because they make like, the babies. They got to be safe. They got to be mm-hmm. safe. It's all about the camouflage. So female peacocks are brown. Female pe- birds of paradise are generally brown, maybe a little bit green. Um, most duck females are some sort of mottled ground color. Sometimes they have patches of color. Uh, for example, a lot of birds of paradise, their legs are bright blue. But which it's very, very pretty. Um, but they have to match their surroundings because the female's job is to sit on and raise the eggies. And we got to keep the eggies and the babies safe. So they have to blend in, which makes it harder for predators. And really, that just means the guys are more vulnerable, but they're just kind of a deposit and fly anyway. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, now, that does not mean that is the hard and fast rule for sexual dichromatic female birds. There are actually some studies done to say that female birds in monogamous relationships tend to be more vibrant if the male is the primary caretaker of the chicks, which I think is really interesting. So some examples, um, phalarope, um, which is like a ocean bird. There's not like a more common name than that. The males are the ones that sit on the eggs and take care of the chicks. And they're actually a lot more drab in color than the females are. So a win, a queen, a queen. Eclectus parrots, um, if you look up a picture of them, look up male and female. The males are emerald in color and the females are bright red with blue patches. Ooh, that sounds pretty. They're super pretty. Don't go get one as a pet, but they're very oh, pretty. They're very different. They're very different. But because they live in these tropical rainforests, it doesn't really matter. They both camouflage well. In addition, um, if you remember back to the camouflage episode, we talked a lot about... Um, like eye, uh, eyes and how there are some animals that don't have certain colored cones and red is the most common cone not to have. So being bright red actually can help you camouflage better, which is weird Fancy. sounding to us, huh. but interesting. Um, finally, uh, this one is not 
any other reason, but I thought it was cool and I want to plug this club. So female belted kingfishers are um, have a bright, ruddy, or not ruddy, rusty red band across their chest. The males don't have that. And they're actually the mascot for the 2022 Feminist Bird Club. Oh, I like so it. The Feminist Bird Club, Kenzie, you would fit super well in. You would too, Emily. It is basically a club that is promoting diverse birding um, for all kinds of abilities, communities. It's amazing. Uh, if you check out their website, you can get a patch that has a female belted kingfisher on it. Um, and each patch sold helps the organ support the organization Honor the Earth, uh, which aids in water protectors, um, native water protectors especially, to help fight the oil pipeline projects and preserve healthy waterways. I they do love that. I'm it up right now. I, I already have the patches from 2021 and 2022. I plan to get them for years to come. I just got to find a place to put these patches. <laughs> I collect patches from um, national and state parks and zoos, and I need to get a jean jacket because I want to put them all on the jean jacket. That's what I want to do. So now yeah. Kenzie and I are going to have a craft night. Emily, start collecting patches. Um, okay. <laughs> You're being roped in. Yeah, you have to okay. this. Welcome. Okay. But yes, feministbirdclub.org. So, and then if, you, if you're on bird news, which I understand is probably not a ton of people, mostly just me, um, there is this really cool phenomenon um, that we find hermaphroditic birds with. It's called genandromorphism. That's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. And I have to say it like seven more times. So if I said it wrong, I'm very sorry. It's going to keep being wrong. Um, basically, it means it is an animal that is split half male and half female down the middle. Fancy. And that's down to the DNA. So genetically, the birds can be male on one side and female on the other. Weird. Isn't that fascinating? That is so cool. If you look in the um on the google doc you can see i have a picture of a bird called a rose-breasted grosbeak he's half and half he's they're half and half i guess we gotta say because can't tell we i don't suppose know. this it, bird they're is literally half and half living their best life living their best life so what's interesting about rose-breasted grosbeaks um especially this one in particular is that it might be able to reproduce fancy so, so I know that makes no sense because in a lot of animal species, if an animal is hermaphroditic, reproduction is not possible. But there's a reason that this specific bird might be able to reproduce. So in birds, they have two ovaries, but only one that's functioning. That's their left side ovary. And this bird happens to be female on the left, which means that if it could mate with a male, it could potentially lay eggs. Isn't that insane? Life will find a way. Life will find a way. It's amazing. Um, there are some barriers, however, because they don't know if this bird sings like a male. Mm -hmm. And if it does, that can elicit territorial responses from other males. And it might attract female birds, which is no problem unless you're looking as reproduction as the goal, because then it will be a problem. Mm -hmm. Um I have no idea. They haven't, they didn't talk about in um, the science article about if the male side was viable for reproduction or not, but I'm guessing probably not since they only mentioned the female side. Um, this bird has been banded by a group in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And this phenomenon is super duper rare. This group has been banding birds for 64 years. Fancy. And they've only ever, they've seen 
less than 10 genandromorphic birds in that time in the Pittsburgh area. Fancy. So the other one that's pretty um, famous on the internet is a cardinal that is also genandromorphic. Oh, I've seen that one. I've seen that photo. Yeah, it goes it goes around Facebook all the time. Um, there's a lot of uh, butterflies that will be too, and a lot of chickens. Look but at all it is these chickens. Look at all these genandromorphic chickens. <laughs> <laughs> that's how that goes, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, but yeah, either way, I think it's fascinating. And really, really cool that we have birds like this that we're still learning more about. Yeah. Are bugs weird? You know what? Bugs are always weird, but that's what makes them so great. All right. So we've talked about birds. We've talked about whales. We've talked about anglerfish. We've talked about primates. But let's get on down to the bug world. Well, technically not bugs. We're talking specifically about arachnids today. Now, for friends who might need just a little bit of refresher, arachnids essentially just means a eight-legged arthropod. You got it. Yes. Arthropods. I had to go back in my biology memory. You know what else arthropods are? Freaking crabs and lobsters. Crabs and lobsters, baby. Emily's favorite. (laughs) Arthropoda is my least favorite taxa, baby. (laughs) Well, well, good thing I'm doing this one then because I love arachnids and arthropods. So when we think about courtship among arachnids, often we think of the infamous black widow spider and there's sometimes deadly courtship rituals. Um, Now, it's rather common among arachnids for the females of the species to often outweigh and outsize their male counterparts. So this is where the sexual dimorphism comes in. Uh, Black widow spires are one example of this, as well as the golden orb weavers, which is also sometimes known as the banana spider. Big spiders. Yep. But as we like to say, it's not just the size that matters when it comes to sexual dimorphism. No! Frenzy! I love everything about this episode. (laughs) So uh, as we talked previously, especially with birds, color plays a role in sexual dimorphism with arachnids as well. Uh, The Australian jumping peacock spider is a great example of this. You guys may have already seen videos of them circulating around uh, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. There's a video of one male peacock spider with maracas and a sombrero on, and it's one of my favorites. I always watch it. Spider. He's so sweet. He's so sweet. And what's really cool is I just found out these spiders are only about the size of a single grain of rice. Ah! Right? They're tiny. They're tiny little beans. Baby does not know ABCs. Jumping (laughs) spiders are very cute. cute. I actually do like jumping spiders. Jumping spiders are fantastic. Shout out to Dennis at work. Dennis is the jumping spider that we have. I I love the fact that he is named Dennis. <laughs> the best part is our ecto guy does not like naming. You guys might know this. Does not like naming any of our animals because he's like it's a it's a bug. It's gonna be dead in like three years. Um. So then all of his keepers definitely name every single bug. <laughs> I love it. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, even though these guys are pretty small, what they lack in size, they make up for in some fun and funky bold little moves. So the female, when it comes to the Australian jumping peacock spider, is, of course, larger and is usually more of a brown gold or grayish in coloration. The male, however, if you look up photos, is bedecked in these beautiful, vibrant, like scarlet red stripes, and they carry this colorful fan on the backside of their body, uh, for which it's called the peacock spider. 
because what happens is that uh, when these spiders engage, the male will start to have a dance. He'll throw up his fan and definitely take a look up on YouTube. If you just type in peacock spider, it's like the first video that pops up. Um, there's a segment from PBS Nature that's a great example. All right, now like other spiders, the peacock spider does engage in sexual cannibalism. So what the male has to do to impress his lady love if he hopes to reproduce, he has to do so by performing a dance. So this means he'll wave his legs and display his colorful fan. And if the female approves, she will allow him to get close enough to her and they will copulate. Uh, but then again, you know, this male is very close at hand and could be an excellent source of nutrition for her young, so she eats in many ways sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I be a spider? <laughs> she says, I, um, great dance, however. <laughs> however, you know, you were a little weak on that last segment in the back there, so yeah. I'm so I gotta eat you, I'm so gotta sorry. <laughs> Now, as a fun side note, just about courtships of arachnids, uh, these are actually quite fascinating. Some scientists have found that male spiders will actually pluck the strings of a female's web as if enticing her by song. Uh, sometimes they'll even use their legs to drum on the ground. And then this one spider called the spider Pesara mirabilis will actually leave silk-wrapped so-called bridal gifts or usually food. Uh, a dowry. Yeah, a dowry, <laughs> pretty much. He gives her a dowry. Uh, sometimes, though, apparently they will try to trick the female with something rude, and then the female will eat them, which, you know what, that's okay. all for. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's their own problem. That's their own problem. That's what I'm saying. Um, now, scorpions, who are also in the arachnid family, will also engage in dancing. So, essentially, they will take each other's pincers, and the male will kind of lead the female so he can deposit his spermatophore on her. Okay, I want you to know that I literally just had a chill go down my spine because of how terrifying that sounded. <laughs> because, okay, I have been asked in more than one job interview, Emily, are you okay, okay working around animals? Emily, are you okay handling animals? And I always say, yep, absolutely. And they say, any no animals? I said, what, just one? Scorpions. I don't do scorpions. I don't do scorpions. <laughs> And I, you said pincer, and my whole body just was like, no. <laughs> like, we're going to nope out of this one. <laughs> Emily, yeah. aren't you a Scorpio? I am. Oh, the irony. <laughs> I love the um, idea of Scorpio. <laughs> uh, but I would not like to be around any if I have the choice. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. That's fair. That's fine. They have pinchies. Well, so do crabs. Wait, that's, that's why I don't that's, like that's the them. point. That's I think that's the thing. Like that's the thing. It's okay, Ellie, like this is the loudest drink of all time. Christ on a cracker. <laughs> she, she's like, hey, you know what's annoying? Me. Let me be super loud. <laughs> I feel oh. like that's her constant thought is like, how annoying shall I be at this moment? <laughs> she's just doing great. Um, okay. That's, uh, so, that's yeah, wrapping. That's, that's coming to the end of it. Uh, but as always, before we go, we have conservation conversations. So as we like to say, uh, go look at animals and find dimorphism and species. Take a look in your backyard, at a local park, on your way to work, anywhere you go. And of course, uh, challenge the object of your affection to recreate or impress you <laughs> with dimorphism <laughs> and allow questions of their own. Cannibalism is optional for legal reasons. <laughs> 
that is a joke. <laughs> is it? This is amazing. Depends. If if it's a frat boy, then by all means, please consume. <laughs> oh my god. I love it here. Um, okay. This is why we let Kenzie write things, is because this is how it goes. It's true. Um, no big announcements this week. Um, I will say, um, I'll say that at the end, I guess. Never mind. Ha ha. Um, okay, so no big announcements this week. Um, if you aren't already, follow us on every social media that exists. Um, you can find us at Conservation Queens Podcast. We don't do the Twitter. We're not on no. Twitter. We're not on TikTok. And that is for good reason. Um, can you imagine? Us on TikTok would be a recreating. It would just be us stitching other people's videos about animals and wrecking them. You know what, though? Remember that? Do you know that, that guy that we were like yes. kind of crapping on for the manatee thing? He then the next day put a comment in there saying, just an FYI, you should not feed freshwater to manatees. And I was like, back in the good books. Very good. So, um, yeah. So it. follow us if you want. If you have questions, send us a DM or an email. Um, our email is conservationqueenspodcast at gmail.com. Um, we do have a website. I'm not going to read the URL off because it's very long. Um, Link in bio. Yes, there you go. Um, if you want bonus content, uh, become a patron. We have a few of them. They're wonderful. Our Beluga Babes, we love you so much. Um, for just $5 a month, you too could be a Beluga Babe um, and support us. And our Patreon helps to keep us ad-free because who wants to hear an ad? Not me, that's for sure. Let's talk about me undies. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, that's really all we have. Um, so thank you so much. And stay sustainable. Bye. 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 Oh, 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 oh,